to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. This is the first episode of season two here, uh, 34th episode, and I'm thrilled to have two guests back that have been on my show before, Buzz Kaysen and Billy Swan. Welcome to the show. Yeah, good, good to, to be, be here. here. Yeah. So good we to have here. to... Again. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have to celebrate the release of you guys' new record. It's your first joint album. Absolutely, and... Uh, we're pretty excited about it, actually. So the concept is it's a, a tribute to, to Buddy Holly's timeless music. It's called okay. Billy and Buzz Sing Buddy. Right. Out right. on the arena recordings right now. Right on the arena. And um, like I said, we're really uh, happy about it. And it's a lot of songs maybe some people would be familiar with that he did. And some he they may not be familiar with. But... Uh, uh, we were really happy the way it turned out, and we're ready for number two. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. would you mind telling me a little bit what the origins of this project were, how it all started? Uh, I, I, I think originally he and I talking about it, and then uh, I went in and did a few things or did uh, a track, and Buzz came over and listened to it, and we talked about it then, and maybe that could have started but but we we've been talking about it a while probably about five years yeah yeah since we started messing with it and yeah and, and just took our time finishing it yeah yeah now although buddy holly's career was very brief due to his premature death he had an amazing catalog incredible i mean, I mean in like two and a half years he wrote the book pretty much yes was yeah. it hard for you guys to, to select the songs you recorded, or was that fairly easy? It just uh, I know, yeah, it was easy. kind of came natural, yeah. I think. It just yes. We both knew a lot of the songs, and uh, Billy would come up with unique arrangements for a couple of them. I, I, I cite particularly Th Think It Over, which he did a real cool contemporary version of, and um, uh, then we combined Rave On and Oh Boy into a medley, and um, Not Fade Away is done differently, and um, we, um, I guess, you know, we, we probably had to focus a little on what we left off, like for instance, uh, Peggy Sue and That'll Be The Day, they're not on the project, but we kind of joked around in the background that, like Billy just said, we were looking for volume two already. <laughs> So well, but you know everything that Buddy put out found success in that two-year period or whatever it was, um, either as a solo record or as the Crickets, and uh, probably never be repeated again uh, by a solo artist 
And he was one of those artists, you know, that you not you not only want to hear the A side, you want to hear the B side too. Absolutely. And you'd usually like it. So, yeah. do you guys have any recollection of how it felt to hear Buddy's music for the first time, or hear it when it actually oh, came to, out? To it's... me, it made me feel good, and it sounded like to me like he was having fun recording them too, you know, and that came through to me anyway. I I loved his music; just just made you feel good. Yeah, That'll Be The Day was my first big impact record. It was in the uh, summer of 57 when I was with the Casuals. Uh, we, I just graduated from high school, and we went on the road uh, actually doing Grand Ole Opry shows, but we were the, quote, rock and roll portion of the show. We actually replaced their Everly Brothers, who had, had hit with Bye Bye Love, and they stuck us out there on the road to to kind of compensate for the... Uh, the void that the Everly Brothers left, and uh, we opened the show with "That'll Be the Day," and that was our opening number. And uh, we gravitated towards Buddy and Crickets, and we would pl be playing shows in Texas and just barely miss seeing them. We ne I never got to see them, never got to meet Buddy or or anything, but um, uh, we just fell in love with his music and uh, that guitar sound and everything was. Another thing I always liked about his records was the background, the picks or the roasts, whoever were doing it, the dum diddy dum dums, and uh, yeah. And you know what's uh, ironic about that, Billy, is uh, Buddy didn't like a lot of that, those background vocals. He uh, overdubbed some Jer of it. Jerry after Allison, fact too. Uh, I don't know whether they did. Uh, uh, well, they would leave. They would do the tracks, and then Norman Petty would come in and put the the picks or the the roses on and uh but they had I, such a funky sound to them or something yeah they, they had kind of felt a, good kind of a budget jordanaire sound or something <laughs> yeah, you right. know but i i got to sing with, well, it was a blend that was pretty cool they did a, a rockabilly revival show uh jerry naylor had something who was a lead singer of the crickets when i was producing them uh had a rockabilly show down at the ryman and uh, he signaled for me to come backstage and i i got to sing with the roses and i remember I asked one guy, I said, what are you saying? He said, bass. And I got to thinking, I never heard of bass on those, <laughs> those records. But there was kind of a low part, you know. But it was fun, you know. I got to sing with them. Yeah. The Beatles were quoted as the fact that it was actually, you know, some of it was credited to the crickets or Buddy Holly and the crickets that that changed their thinking a little bit of the importance of a band rather than just a solo act. Is that something yeah. that you guys... That felt too. I mean, you were out with the Casuals at the same time. Were they a role? Was not just Buddy a role model, but also them being a band? Yeah, I, I think they broke new ground. I, I think it it gave encouragement to all of us who were out there, the new bands, and everybody was new in '57. Um, uh, just that that a, that a band with harmonies could could happen, could hit. You know, of course, you had to have that lead singer. And that's what they had that so many of us didn't have, you know. So um, they were they were pioneers, that's for sure. And Jerry Allison, their original drummer, has a guest spot on your record too, which I think is badass. Yes, yes, me too. I uh, uh, I know when I first met him and uh, Joe B. Malden, what a, a thrill it was, really. And some people you know you meet, you don't 
try not to show it, you know. Oh, you know, but uh, uh, they were—they're great guys, both of them. Uh, lost Joe B here recently, but Jerry, what a what a Joe he is. Yeah, Jerry came down and played on "Well, All Right." Um, it was a stick tambourine. What it had a certain yeah, name to it. Yeah. I, don't, I forget what he called it. A stickerine or something like that. He plays on it, and then on the album itself, there's a, a shot. Billy and I went down to visit with him in Lyles, Tennessee, which is about an hour from here, and uh, on his farm, and we got a cool little picture with him that day, and we we shared it on the album, and of course I had been in the band with with Jerry. Uh, I got asked to fill in Jerry Allison, J.I. We call him asked me to fill in for Jerry Naylor, who got sick, and I went on a 30-day tour of England with him and then played around the country in California and Texas and different places for about a year. But uh, so I'd, it was myself, Sonny Curtis, J.I., and Glenn D. Harden, who played a keyboard bass. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool, too. <laughs> yeah, we... That, um, <clears throat> when he asked me to do the... He came over to Liberty Records where I was working at the time, and uh, we had, J.I. and I had written a version of La Bamba called They Call Her La Bamba, which didn't hit over here, but it hit in England, and that was gonna be the main single on this tour. And J.I. came in shaking his head. He said, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Naylor's sick and can't go on this tour, and we're leaving in about two weeks. And I thought, man, what are you gonna do? And he came back the next day. He said, I figured out what I'm gonna do about the singer. He said said, I figured out who it is. I said, who's that? He said, you. I said, wow. I said, man, I hadn't done the Holly songs in a couple of years, you know. He said, well, everybody knows Buddy Holly song. So we would go over to Sonny Curtis's apartment, over to Sycamore, uh, the apartment's right there in Hollywood. The studio was, our, our record company was right there on, on Sunset Boulevard. And um, he was just kind of really not too far from the record company, but uh, we would go there with the idea of maybe rehearsing. I'd sit over in the corner with a guitar and everybody's partying and drinking beer and Bobby Fuller of the Bobby Fuller Four was over there and Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys was there and I'd say, hey, y'all want to run through a tune? Oh, we'll get to it. Well, we never got to rehearsing. and We got, <laughs> we got on the plane going over and Sonny Curtis sit next to me and pulled out a napkin <laughs> and said, okay, Buzz, here's the set and wrote down the set. And we went from there to Abbey Road to a press conference and played for the and that was our our rehearsal we played live for the press <laughs> what year was in, that no. 64 64 yeah so the beatles had been recording in abbey road there yeah is that the studio that you well it, yeah that was where the record company was too you know at that oh. time yeah wow emi records yeah yeah now there are not that many artists that have such a timeless thing to their music. I mean, Body and you know Jock Berry and some of those early rock and roll guys, but but they're not that many. Which music for fifty plus years has been, you know, redone and played, and there are a lot of very uh, well known. Admirers too, like Paul well, McCartney. Elvis, Elvis, maybe Elvis. somebody like that. Yeah, but uh, so, I don't know who who else. Uh, a lot of people redone uh, Elvis songs. In fact, I did uh, an album of uh, 
his things redone. But uh, I tell you, who was on his way to being that type singer songwriter that got taken from us too early was Eddie Cochran. That's right. Yeah, he had summertime blues and. Um, uh, was he around Liberty when you were there? Um, no, he 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 or passed away in what fifty eight or something like that. Yeah, it 50, seems like yeah, six years. Yeah, real, real early. Yeah. We got to play, Casuals got to play a show with him, uh, two shows. We played Kansas City and St. Louis, and um, he was really nice. We we backed him up. Well, he had Guy Bow, he had the bass. That's one of the first times we saw anyone playing a bass guitar quite like that with a pick, you know, and uh, he, he was nice. I, I have a photo somewhere with him, which I cannot locate. One of these days, hopefully I'll find it, but uh, Joe South was on that show too and a couple other folks. But uh, Eddie was on his way to to being that type impact artist. And it was a shame that he didn't have any more material. They, When I was with Liberty Records, they sent me down to Gold Star to go through multi-track tapes and see what I could find. And I went up in the attic uh, and, and snooped around and found a few things, but they were mainly just demos. But we couldn't hardly make records out of them. Uh, I remember while I was down there one night looking through and I met Phil Spector, he was there. And he said, tell, I worked for Snuff Garrett. I was kind of a understudy to him. And uh, he said, tell Snuffy hello. He was real nice. But um, I really thought Eddie was innovative and uh, quite a rocker too. Yeah, and then Richie Valens died in the same plate plane crash as, as Buddy did and he although he was uh, 16 or 17 when that happened he had quite oh I think he would have went on to do some yeah good things yeah absolutely so my introduction to Buddy Holly's music was when I was a teenager my mom took me to see the Buddy Holly musical and I just fell in love with the music there I maybe heard Not Fade Away and a couple other songs covered by other artists. And then we went to see that musical in London and it was just mind blowing. I would love and to I see bought that. like the guitar, you know, chord book, learned all the songs. I can still like play the Celeste instrumental of every day just by muscle memory, like 25 years later. Yeah. Wow. I got to see that same musical in London. It was really good, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was. Yeah. The guy. Guy playing the lead um, uh, was was excellent, he and he was. actually came here to record one time. After that, he was from Canada, but um, uh, I think I don't know whether that that show got got shut down some way or another. Uh, either the family Maria Lena or someone I think shut it down, but it was good. Sure? It, yeah, so. So it was never did anything over here. No, I don't think but so. I don't think it made it to Broadway. I don't believe there was a production in Germany too. I know that, but it was he was just so popular in England. Yeah, uh, well, you know, uh, 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 Eddie Cochran and uh, Gene Vincent—they're still very popular over there in in Europe, yeah. France. Billy Swan. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about him. <laughs> But uh, no, I know Eddie Cochran, a lot of those early rockabilly guys, Carl Perkins, and are still very popular. And it's a shame, you know, uh, uh, it's not the same here that much anymore. 
Yeah. A lot of that 50s music was really, was. I mean, I don't know, maybe because I was there, I just think it was just such great music. That's why we've got 50s on five. Yeah. yeah. On XM, yeah. Which, which Billy and I are doing. I had Alex Ward call me the other day from Memphis and wants to do an interview with Billy and I for 50s on five. He... He particularly likes Thank You Buddy off the album, which so, surprised me. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is one of my favorites too, and we have not really talked about I it. I like that one too. Because it's not just a collection of covers. You guys went in and wrote a song that is a tribute to Buddy musically and lyrically, kind of like a thank you letter to him almost. Uh, how did that come about? Well, Buzz had the uh, first few lines of it and then after that and he had the guitar and uh, Buzz was quite into it and I was just kind of throwing out ideas and if I said something that hit him he would say oh that's good but that was basically Buzz's uh, idea and well it was kind of our little thank you little tribute to him done from a a kid's standpoint of what we remember, you know, it talks about riding around with your girlfriend, listening to 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 Buddy and to how he and the crickets really really stole the show and how he played the Stratocaster guitar and all that stuff, you know. We we tried to cram everything in positive about him that we could, you know. So it was just I never a, heard much un- that wasn't positive about Buddy Holly. Have you? No. Can you tell me now? If you... <laughs> no, it. Uh, I did meet uh, his uh, his brother uh, when I was working with Chris Dofferson. and we did. Uh, Chris uh, was the uh, what would you call it? Went to uh, Lubbock or Austin, Austin, I think it was. And Chris was the MC. MC of the show, yeah. And would introduce artists and uh, but. Man, it was just a lot. Maria Lena was there. I really didn't get to talk to her. I feel bad about that. But his brother talked to him quite a while, and it was kind of cool. I really dug that. And uh, it I got a cool show. I got to meet his dad, L L E Holly. I remember there at the. He came out to to Hollywood out to the record company, Liberty Records, and um, got to meet him. Okay, well, when I was working with. Chet Atkin, Floyd Kramer, and Boot Randolph. I was their roadie. This is 65, 66. And uh, we played in Lubbock. And somebody came to the door and told me, this was after the show. They said, there's somebody here would like to say hello to Chet. Would you check it out? And I went to the door. And it was Buddy Holly's dad, mother, and sister. Oh, man. And... Of course, I, when they told me who they were, I couldn't believe it. I was thrilled, you know, and I said, oh, Chet would love to meet you, you know, took them to him, and uh, but that was kind of cool, too. Yeah. And Buzz, when you were working with the Crickets back in the early 60s, you went to Clovis, New Mexico once, too, to do a little bit of recording there at Norman Pettit's studio, didn't you? Yeah, we had recorded um, uh, the first side I cut on the crickets was Lonely Avenue, the old Ray Charles Doc song. Thomas. We we did it up tempo. Boom, 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 boom. Well, my room it had no window, but sun comes shining on through. And of course, Ray did it slow, you know. But 
Uh, I love that record, and uh, Jerry Naylor sang lead on it. And I don't know whether we cut anything else in between there. We did a Crickets uh, kind of a, a, a Beatles-sounding album with a bunch of covers of Beatles songs. But Jerry said, you know what we ought to do? He said, we ought to go back to Clovis and cut just for the fun of it, just for the hell of it. And he said, of course, when we get there, Norman will have to have half publishing on or publishing on it, on what we write. I said, well, that's crooked, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's the way Norman was, you know. And so um, uh, we went, and it was it was a trip, man. We we didn't we our songs weren't very good that we cut there. So, uh, but it was it was kind of historic, just cutting in the same area where they they originally cut. So yeah. it was fun. It was in the I think I think maybe he. That would have been in 62, 63, and uh, that was, he may have moved into a larger place after that. I'm not sure. I don't know the history of that studio, but I always thought, thought it was funny. When we'd get to a fade, Norma would just reach over there and just turn it, turn the fader down like like you were turning down a fader on a light switch in, in the building. We started, we started using that Norman Petty fade. Said, said, man, take it, take it a little easy on that, you know. And of course, you didn't t say anything to him. You just let him do his thing, you know. I think Sam Phillips was known for quick fades too, wasn't he? I think so. Yeah. Oh, and and let me go back to something. I think it was Buddy's sister. Uh, uh, for some reason, I I think uh, they said it was. Uh, maybe he didn't have a sister, but I think it was his sister. So I don't want to come off here as a liar here. Yeah. So I'll, I'll check that out tonight. All right. Sounds good. I can always fly back. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get together we'll edit on it that. out. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow. I thought that's what you said originally. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start rumors here. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you co-wrote some of those songs with J.I. Buzz. Do, do you remember anything about collaborating with him on that? Um, we had one called Now Hear This, which was we cut in Clovis. And... Um, Gosh, I can't think of the others. Uh, they Call My Baby La Bamba was the only one we had a success with. It went top 20 in England. And we had on that session, we had Leon Russell playing piano and, and arranging the horns for us. And we cut it down at Gold Star, uh, down in Santa Monica Boulevard. And um, we, um, gosh, I, you kind of blindsided me with that. I'll have to think about that, to think about some of the songs we wrote. But do you remember but, anything uh, about how you guys collaborate would you get in the room and knock it out or how do you remember uh, how, how that went down we um we probably wrote over at J.I.'s house he had a pretty cool little place in North Hollywood and um I think we wrote there rather than down at Liberty Records and um uh J.I.'s a pretty good acoustic player himself in fact I think I played his guitar on on stage whenever we would play uh, if you want to call it playing it was a, I always tell everybody I'm a guitar flogger I don't really claim to be a player but um, um, we uh, yeah we'd write on on different occasions you know it was um, kind of a thrown together thing we never got too serious about it <laughs> yeah so Buzz grew up here in Nashville you Billy grew up in Missouri and then went to Memphis yeah, to Cape Girardeau, start Missouri. your career. Uh, how did you guys first connect? 
Well, I, uh, Buzz and I first met, I, you got back in 65, didn't you? Yeah. And I so. came to Nashville in 63. And it's just a, a small musical community there in 16th and 17th Avenue, yeah. basically, you know, and everybody was going through RCA Victor's parking lot or over to Toonville. CBS, yeah. Toonville, Toonville, which was Bill Justice's place. And uh, a, a lot of, you know, everybody knew each other. Yeah, you just kind of naturally yeah. So I went back to the tape vault here at the studio earlier today, and I ran into a Billy Swan four-track tape from 1967. Now, you guys started collaborating pretty soon after well, that. Well, the first, first, actually, the first record I did, uh, Buzz and uh, Chip Young did on me, and they did three records on me. And uh, uh, so what was 66? And that's, he's talking about 45. He's talking about singles. 45, yeah. Singles. yeah. Which would probably been <laughs> 66, 67, 68. And then I did something with Bobby, I think, in 70. Uh, and that was it, but uh, three records y'all did with me. And yeah. one or two came out on Elf Records too, or was that Rising Suns? Um, well, That's the one that Bobby did on me. Then came The Lover. And then, then, did that come out on Elf? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Bobby Russell, my great partner from 68, and Bobby loved Billy and, and likewise, and uh, um, he was the great ballad writer. He'd written Honey and Little Green Apples, and um, was was it then came the lover? Then came the lover. Was, was that the same she one? Never that, really crossed my mind. Da, 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 da. Did, did, is that the same one Roy Clark cut later on? Somebody cut yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think it, it was, was Roy Clark that recorded that. I, I wanted to say uh, Gary Lewis maybe or somebody like that. Maybe not. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Roy Clark. But anyway, hmm. we yeah we just all knew each other and we we kind of. Uh, Toonville Music, which was owned by Bill Justice, which is actually on the piece of property that now um, Reba McIntyre's Reba McIntyre's uh, uh, company is located now was was kind of hillbilly central, and yeah, uh, we would yeah. all meet back there in the back and drink beer and carry on. And Bill Justice would go out to Miss Mary's barbecue. That was a special night when he'd do that. I don't know whether you're in, in on those or not, Billy, but. He'd bring back a stack of ribs for each man had his own thing of ribs. And now you talking about hot? Those things were hot. And he'd give you a, each guy had a loaf of bread, of white bread, and a six pack of Pepsi's <laughs> <laughs> on top of all the Jack Daniels and everything else we were drinking. But uh, Bill Justice was a great character. I mean, he drank a couple he, times when he'd have a late session, you know. Uh, I'd go down with him to somewhere on first or second. You probably know what it is. There's a restaurant at Varello's Chili, yeah. spaghetti or something. Varello's Chili, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we'd go down there one thirty in the morning, whatever it'd be. So I can't not do a show, have the two of you here, and talk a little bit about Funky Donnie Fritz while oh. I got you here since... All of us are friends with with Donnie, the two of you for 50 plus years probably. Absolutely. How did you guys meet Donnie and would you mind talking a little bit about you guys' friendship with him because he also just put out a record and 
covered Soldier of Love, which is one of Buzz's songs yeah. that he wrote with Tony Moon. How did you guys hook up with Donnie Fritz? Well, um, from my standpoint, I think the first time I ran into to, uh, Donnie, I had moved back from California in, in 64, and I, I had narrowed down where I was going to work between Bill Justice and Bob Beckham. Bob was running Raleigh Music, right, it, which right. was directly behind Bill Justice, ironic enough. And um, uh, I was over there, and, and Donnie was writing for, for Bob, and that's where I first met him. I don't think we ever wrote anything together, but we became buddies then and um, just been friends ever since. And Billy goes back probably Well, no, first. you know, the first time I saw Donnie, and I'd see him going in and out of Raleigh Music. And I was writing for Cedarwood music, which was right next to each other, yeah, you know. Next door. And I'd see him, and I don't think we really didn't meet until uh, Combine. And uh, when Bob, you know, I, when did Bob go to Combine, leave Shelby? It, it would have been about maybe 66 or something Six, like that. Yeah. They, they well, took over, uh, Fred Foster's Combine music took over the Tuneville. Well, office Bob, Bill Justice wound up moving to California after I yeah, moved back. And, uh, Bill moved to become an arranger in California. I took a couple. I drove his cars out there for him. And oh, did you? <laughs> he, he, he says I beat his plane one time. <laughs> but his plane was delayed, you know. And anyway, but uh, I'll tell you more. About did you that tow later. the car? Did you tow one? No. Oh, you I drove made two trips. Yeah. Make two trips there. Yeah. Didn't stop. I stopped for hamburgers and get gas, and that was it. Coffee and take another pill or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something. Yeah, different but, times. Yeah, but that, you know, that's when I, and then when I guess Bob went to a Combine, around 66 is when I first met him. And we had run around together, pal around, and go to the Holiday Inn over in West End, remember that? They mm -hmm. had that 24-hour restaurant and hang out, which it seemed like everybody was doing uh, that we knew at that time. So, John, you know, uh, uh, Johnny Darrell worked over there at the desk for a while. And then uh, um, Tommy Cash worked there for a while. John, Johnny Darrell had the original Green Green Grass yeah. of Home. And he had another song. one. Uh, uh, I think it was Hickory Hollow's Tramp. Yeah. He had yeah. That. He was good at picking songs. Didn't he do one of Bobby's songs? Uh, yeah, I can't recall the, the title. first one to do it, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you and Donnie both worked with Chris Christopherson for yep. a long time after yep. that. Yeah. Uh, in 70 until I worked about a year with Chris and then I left and went back in 74 and then when uh, they did Star is Born I got a band of my own went on the road a little bit to Europe and all that and then when uh, that was over with I went back to work with Chris so. yeah and let me ask you one more thing that's somewhat connected to that. Donnie and I went up to Lexington, Kentucky not too long ago because there they uh, 
they have a festival where Harry they, Dean Stanton where yeah. they honor Harry Dean Stanton who was a dear friend of both you and, mm -hmm. and Donnie did you I, I assume you met him at the Troubadour too with Chris yeah yeah but then you lived in LA for a long time yes and uh, Harry lived right above me uh, on Mulholland Drive and I'd see him once or twice a week go up in the evening we'd sit and talk and you know watch TV whatever but he was a great guy did you ever make music together yeah we did uh, in fact we were rehearsing up there one night and uh, knock on the door and who is it but Bruce Springsteen he comes in and he I think we rehearsed about three hours he sat there on the couch all the time and listened every now and then he'd say whose song is that you know and um, uh, uh, but there'd be a lot of different uh, other actors you'd run in up there Sean Penn loved Harry you know and uh, he was he was something else he was great yeah and uh, he had a unique way of playing the harp too I thought he had yeah, real, yeah, yeah like I don't know yeah, melancholic way to play yeah. the harp. Yeah, we uh, got a band together and went to Australia. And uh, one story about Harry, this is kind of funny. We worked about five gigs for this guy, and uh, I can't even think of his name, but maybe it's best I couldn't. But he's a, a nice guy, and uh, they were selling T-shirts with Harry's name on it. And Harry wasn't aware of it until we got to the airport and somebody in the band told him, or maybe they was wearing one. He said, where'd you get that? And he said, oh, so-and-so selling them, you know, that's doing your gig. And he says, well, I didn't get any money for it, you know. And he makes a guy pay him some money at the airport for the t whatever T-shirts he showed. Not a royalty on one T-shirt. Yeah, right. Yeah. I just noticed you can get the Billy and Buzz album on Amazon now. You can get it on Amazon. Tell all and, your friends and, out there. And all the, you know, digital retailers like iTunes and Spotify and all that. Like, it's been up there since this past Friday. And all your good. Yeah, we're here getting some play on Spotify. That's great. Yeah. And hopefully, all yeah. your good, uh, good local record store can pick up a hard copy for whoever's still interested in owning a piece of yes. music. And uh, one thing I just want to mention real quick, and then won't uh, keep going for too long. But we talked about "Thank You, Buddy," and you guys writing that song. But that's not the only song the two of you collaborated on recently. There is one on, on Buzz's latest album, "Passion," that the two of you co-wrote. And there's another song called "Whatever Happened to My Rock and Roll Dream" that the yeah. two of you demoed yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, which are, I mean. You can probably never completely take the history and your guys' influences out of it, but show somewhat of a different side of you guys. It's more contemporary uh, side. How yeah. do you guys just like, you know, knock it out and see what happens, or is that by choice that you try to write in a particular vein? Well, usually, usually just, one of us will have an idea. Yeah, just, just have a happens, title, whatever it happens, and uh, just a title, yeah, or. Uh, with Just Is Gone, which which I think is one of the most clever little tunes I was ever involved with, uh, 
we got a lot of notoriety off the Passion album on that. Uh, uh, <clears throat> but uh, Billy had the, was talking about, uh, you know, rock and roll is gone, uh, kind of from a standpoint of the way we knew it. And he said, you know, just just it's just as gone as rock and roll. And I thought, well, what about just as gone as all these things, you know? Just, just as gone as a hula hoop and all these kind of things, and that, that's how that that song was born. And I um, went down to uh, Loxley, Alabama, to Anthony Crawford's studio and did the track on it. And came back up here and put some overdubs here in the uh, Creative Workshop in the Friendly Forest where we are right now. And uh, that's the way that one was done. And then, if, if Buzz were not, I would sit and write every day for two or three hours. We'd come up with some good songs. You know, I we're, think we're if just we wrote ten lazy. songs, we'd probably write one that'd be really be yeah. pretty good. You guys just like too much going over to Cracker Barrel <laughs> and have lunch, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to take right. our naps and stuff. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but both of you are still active and, you know, going at a remarkable pace. I mean, me, I'll try to keep up with Buzz around the studio here, and sometimes it's a challenge for me. And... Uh, that's just inspiring to see that that you guys still, you know, are fueled by the, you know, by that rock and roll dream. What that that you mentioned in that song, and you mentioned I don't know how seriously that you would like to do a volume two of the Billy and Buzz record, but what is what is in your immediate future? I know obviously the release and trying to promote that album, but what else are you uh, trying to? Uh, work on in the in the next well we're couple. playing we're playing knoxville october 25th yeah. 2018 yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. got a gig we've got one show at the uh, holiday inn we don't have the particulars on where it is but um it'll be on the website be on buzzcasing.com for sure uh should i reveal what we've kind of talked about just the other day yeah go ahead. yeah we we it may be too big of a project for us to take on but we're we actually kicked around doing the Beatles, and uh, we would put our arrangements to them, you know. And that may be foolish to do, but we're in it for the fun, and uh, you know, that, that, that's we're not having. Line, it's like Jack Clement said, if we ain't something different, if we ain't having fun, we're not doing our job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, um, that—that's just a, a pipe dream. I mean, that. We, I think uh, I said something on this. Uh, it's, it's in the uh, liner notes of the album. It says, it's like, why would anybody want to do that, you know? And I think that's, I kind of live like that. Why would anybody want to do that? I don't know, but I would, you know. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like it's fun to me, you know. And also in the case of the Beatles, which is such a vast catalog, there's so many great songs. They're not necessarily the top, you know, 20 Beatles songs that are just beautiful songs, too, that that can probably, you know, if you come up with a creative way of of redoing them, yeah, it'd be yeah. really cool. Uh, because, like you said, they're good songs. And and I'm sure, uh, you know, it's always a, a thrill when someone does your song. And Paul McCartney has mentioned that. And Lennon, you know, uh, you know. But I don't care who you are, how big a writer you are. If, if you write a song and someone does it, it sure makes you feel good. You know, it's... Somebody like that. I mean, yeah, Lennon yeah. McCartney mentioned I can help or record 
Soldier of Love, yeah. which is like yeah, absolutely. That's like if you ask me, that's about as good as he as he gets absolutely. by your, your most well known peers. It'll probably take us longer than five years to do the Beatles. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but um, yeah. I'm kind of encouraging Billy to to do a new solo record himself. So maybe we can. Well, I'll uh, double get, down on get that. Get that going too, you know. Yeah. Well, that, that's such a great thing with you having created Workshop Studio here, and the access to such great recording space. Absolutely. Uh, We're—I didn't mention that earlier, but we're we're recording here at Creative Workshop uh, in Barry Hill, Tennessee, which is Buzz's studio that he he's owned since 1970. Creativeworkshop.com, I believe it is. Creativeworkshoprecording.com. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, well, Billy's got quite a magical little recording space in his home where. Um, several, it's nice to to work at home. It's and, a beautiful baby. And wonderful thing about too. Pro Tools, and I'm sure a lot of people would tell you that now, writers and whatever. You know. It's, Absolutely, I'm I'm setting up a little studio at my house now too, just so I can. Uh, and you could do something right there, you know? Yeah, because uh, Creative Workshop has been getting so popular. Well, I know, I, I know. Well, we came in there with <laughs> some of those tracks and did some things, you know? Yeah, and you have a great video to one of your songs off of here, which is I'm Looking for Someone to Love, which was maybe... Most directed that. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's funny and classy at the same time. And the great Scotty Moore... Is featured in yeah. it before before he passed away. Well, and we, we asked if he'd mind doing that, and said he'd love to do it. Yeah, we we owe a lot of the majority of the credit of that video to Mark Harper from yes. Birmingham, Alabama, yes. who just did a great job of shooting that. We we shot it in in, in two days, uh, going out to Scotty's house and uh, went um, over to the factory, the Marathon motor factory and did a couple of scenes and then we did Parthenon at night but but Mark is is not only a great camera person but he's a great editor and he just he really put that thing together well and we've we've got a lot of hits on it and uh, it was just really fun to do and, and uh, you guys used his photo he took on that day of the of the video shoot as the cover of the new record too and yeah. while we talk about the record let me just make sure we get credit where credit is due jeremy fetzer of steelism created the artwork for the record and we got colin winery on guitar matt Krause, and steve holland on drums and uh it was uh recorded and mixed by the one and only joe funderberg here joe at the creative, funderberg. Yes. creative workshop yes joe did a wonderful job on it and uh, he also mastered the record so uh, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of great talents were involved in putting this little project together for sure yeah and uh, I won't keep you here much longer I just want to thank you so much for being here being my guest launching season two of the crazy chest radio hour it couldn't have asked for better guests to do that I know Buzz was my very first guest in the first episode so I like to stick with that theme Maybe the third season will kick up with the two of you and have Donnie Fritz join you oh, yeah. to kick up. Should have had him call today. Yeah, remember yeah, last time me. he called. Right. He called in, and he did part of the interview with us. Uh, 
right then and there that was cool yeah, yeah. well uh, if you'll bear with me again I'll always have you back so well I sure will thanks for having us thank yeah, you so much thanks for being an inspiration to me and thank you for bringing new life to the catalog of Buddy Holly and I wish you the best of luck with the release of Billy and Buzz Sing Buddy thank you all the best to you guys. You. Is it Crazy Chester? Well, so... Or is it Andres? It's still Andres. Okay, Andres. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Billy. Thank you, Buzz. Thank you. This was the 34th episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour that kicked off Season 2. Thanks to my awesome guests, Buzz Kaysen and Billy Swan, for spending the past hour with me. Their new record, Billy and Buzz Sing Buddy, is out now on Arena Recordings. Get yourself a copy. It's one great record that I can highly recommend. Stay tuned for all the further episodes coming out every week, all through the fall, winter and spring. This episode was recorded at Buzz Kaysen's Creative Workshop Recording Studio in the Berry Hill neighborhood of Nashville. Thanks for listening.